Prayer is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Prayer is powerful. We need to pray for them. But, but just like Paul says, how many of us say, how many of us say, uh, or I'm sorry, James says, we, we, is, we, we tell them to be warmed and be filled and, and to go on their way and be blessed, but then we don't give them any food. We don't give them any support. We just bless them and then send them on. Well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to just bless them, pray over them, never meet them face to face, never show them any support, never show them that we care about them, but we're going to pray for them. That's awesome. But let's take it even a step further, show up to these football games and say, hey, listen, I've been praying for you. I care about you. I believe in you and, uh, and, and I support you. And, and, and so I just, I don't know, this, just, this, the beginnings of this vision I see um, and what Ron and Shelly see for this football team. And uh, I'm just really excited about it. I really want our congregation to just begin thinking that way and begin uh, and maybe investing in some of this. So, so that's just a little bit of what, what, what's ahead for that. So that got us just incredibly pumped this weekend. And we're still buzzing from that, the, that conversation with them. But then uh, I got a brand new shirt, which is always exciting. The shirt's a little out there for me, but, you know, it's a little loud, but hey, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. So, hey, listen, it, I, I'm really feeling this message this morning, so I'll, let's just make a deal. If I'm feeling the message, I'll wear this shirt. Like, if it's like, I feel like I'm going to bring a word this morning, and it could go to one o'clock, then I'll wear this shirt so you're all understand that it's going to be loud in here, Okay. So that, obviously, it's always exciting getting new shirts. Uh, and just, when I looked at this, I told Justin I'd give him a shout out. When I looked at this shirt, I thought, would Justin Cornelius wear this shirt? <laughs> and I thought, absolutely. And so, so I went for it. So the other reason I'm pumped this morning is it, I got so much family here. I got uh, my mom and dad. Uh, my cousins, uh, two sets of cousins, one I didn't even know was coming, John, who was one of my best friends growing up. We were so close growing up, um, so it's incredible to see him here. He lives in Chicago now, so don't get to see him too much anymore, but uh, so it's awesome to look out and see him. That was a huge surprise. My co other cousins from Alabama that lived here that now live in Alabama at the ramp who have ment helped mentor Amber and I for so many years were our youth leaders and some of our best friends and their two boys um, who are awesome. And then uh, I don't believe any of my other aunts and uncles are here, so I can say this. My favorite aunt is here this morning. <laughs> I'll edit that out of the message just in case the other ones listen. And then my sister and, and niece are here. It's, and it's not even September 1st. It's not even Transition Sunday, so that's pretty awesome. So I'm really, really pumped about this morning. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. All of you stand up if you're related to me. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to get baptized. <laughs> I'll just baptize myself. <laughs> All right. Well, mostly I'm excited this morning because I just feel this word stirring in me. Uh, I've felt it all week, um, just stirring in me. And um, so I'm, I'm just really excited to release this to you this morning. I want to talk to you about worship. Um, and not just worship, I want to talk to you about extravagance. Extravagance in worship. And uh, so I'm really pumped about releasing this to you. So let me just start here. I want to start off first. It's going to get, let me tell you how this is going to go. So you're all ready. So the very first part of this message is gonna be real practical. I wanna just give some teaching and some, um, just break maybe some mindsets about worship. So I wanna spend a few minutes just talking about that. In the second half, I really feel like the Lord is just going to just release something into all of us for worship. And so I'm gonna tell a story um, obviously from the Bible about just, and I, I believe that through that, the Lord is just going to just give us um, just a new uh, excitement, but a new uh, clarity in worship. So that's how this is going to go this morning. So let's start with the practical stuff. I want to talk about just for a few minutes what worship is not. Okay. So what worship is not. First of all, I want to say worship is not entertainment. And I know exactly where everyone's mind just went, or a lot of people's mind just went with that. You're right, Josh. Worship isn't about smoke and lights. 
It's not about the fog machine. It's not about the loud music. It's not about all that. And you're absolutely right. But I want to tell you that it, it doesn't even have, that's not even what I mean by entertainment. Okay. I've been in worship services that have fog and lights, smoke machines, the music's loud, it's blaring, and I've had some of the most incredible encounters with Jesus that I've ever had in my entire life. I've also sat in worship services where there's just a guitar and a cajon in the middle of somebody's living room, and I've had incredible encounters and experiences with Jesus. Uh, that stuff really doesn't matter. And, and of course, there's, there's, there's places that use the fog and lights and all those things to, to whatever. You, we can have all kinds of opinions about all of those things, but I don't know how many times I've heard, walked away from a worship service that has had those things and have heard, man, I just wish it wasn't so entertaining. I wish it wasn't so, they weren't trying to put on a show. And listen, Worship is not about entertainment, whether it's fog and lights or whether it's just a person sitting on his guitar trying to show off his talent. It's not entertainment. Number two. Um, what is number two? <laughs> number two, it actually goes along with that. Number two, so if worship is not entertainment, then what is worship determined by? What, how do we look at that? What is, how do we determine whether or not it's entertainment? I believe it's this. It's, I believe that it's all about your heart posture. That in those moments, whether you be in a, a setting where there's amazing lights like we have here, isn't that amazing? <laughs> but all of those at Lowe's for like five bucks a piece, <laughs> the screen, whether it's amazing light setup or whether it's a guy with an acoustic guitar on his couch, it's not about what the atmosphere is around you. It's about your heart posture within you. I want, a, a story I heard recently was from a, from a, from a pastor named Sean Bowles who was talking about, uh, he's a traveling minister, is an incredible man of God, traveling, he was, he was traveling, he was traveling with a lady named Heidi Baker who was also an incredible minister and they were at this church together for this conference. And Sean goes on to describe the worship and he said they, they was at a church that they weren't uh, English speaking people, but they were trying really hard to speak in English because their crowd was mostly English. So it was really difficult to understand. The music was terrible. The sound was terrible. Everything about the experience was horrible. And Sean, Sean goes over to Heidi Baker and Heidi is just on the floor and just going after God with everything that she has. And he, he's, he's, you know, kind of being silly and he walks up to her and he's like, Heidi, how in the world are you worshiping in this atmosphere? He said, he's like, this has to be the worst worship experience I've ever been in my entire life. And Sean's been in a lot of churches and he said, this has to be the absolute worst. And she looked at him and said, he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. they don't lead me into worship. I lead me into worship. And he, he said, he said he fell back and he's like, am I even a Christian? Like, like, he's like, and, and the idea is that it has absolutely nothing to do with the environment around you, it has everything to do with your posture, your heart posture, your seeking posture. When we first moved here, let me tell you something. It was a totally different experience for Amber and I. We came from a church who was, had, had a full worship team. I actually, my uncle Randy back there in the back was on the team. My dad played drums on the team. Half my cousins sang on the team. We, we, I think everybody here probably had some sort of experience. Paul led the team. <laughs> if you're on that worship team, raise your hand. That's half the people in the congregation. That's funny. But it just dynamic worship experiences. Then we went to the ramp and that went to a whole nother level of a worship experience. And then we came to Harmony Christian Church, which we have incredible worship, but it's just different, a lot different. It's a lot more low key, not quite as high energy. We don't have the smoke and lights, you know? We don't have all of those things. And it, I'll be totally real. At first, it was really difficult to enter in. And I just kept complaining, God, are you sure you're calling us? It's, you know, it's all of this. And he's like, and, and, and then I remember the night, it was a Wednesday night. The Lord said, if you can't worship in this environment, then you're not worshiping me. You're worshiping the music and the environment around you. That you have to be able to find you, yourself in a place of worship, no matter what environment you're in. 
And so it has nothing to do with the place around you, with the environment around it. It has everything to do with where is your heart posture. We have an incredible worship team. We could have a set of drums, an electric guitar, a synthesizer, which, oh man, I would love to have all of that. We could have all of that, but if your heart isn't in a posture of worship, then none of that is gonna make an ounce of difference. We could lose everything on this stage have someone standing up here without a microphone, without a guitar, singing a cappella. And, and you could have the incredible, an incredible experience, encounter with the Holy Spirit, worshiping Jesus in that setting if your heart is postured in the right place. So that was a long time to explain that point, but it's not entertainment. Worship is not entertainment. Worship is not a style. Worship is not a hymn. It's not a course and it's not a Gregorian chant. And it started there. It started with Gregorian chants, and then it moved into hymns, which was revolutionary. All the Gregorian chant people complained that we changed styles and went to hymns. And then it's now there's this shift where we don't sing as many hymns, and now we're going into courses. Let me tell you something. We could be singing any one of those styles and still enter into worship because worship has, has nothing to do with the style of music. It has everything, once again, to do with our posture and our heart. It's not the latest song playing on K-Love. Worship is not the latest song playing on K-Love. Worship is not what we prefer. I would like to see us go into worship with this change of thought. Instead of going into worship and thinking, I love this song, this is my favorite song, and then you worship into that, and then it goes into another song where it's not necessarily your favorite, and you're like, eh, okay, you know, we'll get through this one. <laughs> I would love to see us go, instead of worrying about what our preference is, what's his preference? What's he want today? What does he want to hear today? That's why I love I love Paul, our worship leader, because every song is selected not by what everybody in this audience prefers, because there's a lot of variety in this, in this congregation. There's some people in this congregation that prefer us to sing hymns every single Sunday. There's some that wish we wouldn't do a hymn ever again and would sing just the latest and greatest worship song on the market. And I love that our worship leader doesn't pick songs based off of your preference, his preference, my preference, he prays and he says, God, what do you want to hear this morning? Because at the end of the day, worship has nothing to do with us anyways. We're, we're worshiping him, right? So what does he want to hear? And maybe that morning it's going to be amazing grace. Maybe that morning it's going to be uh, who, you say, who, do, who you say I am or whatever it's called. But let's begin to change our mindset and stop worrying about which song is our favorite, which style is our favorite, what do we wanna hear? Let's start asking the Holy Spirit, what do you wanna hear? And if it's not your preference, then begin to show your heart posture and posture yourself, Lord, whatever you want. If this is what you want, then I'm gonna give everything I have in this moment to you. If it's amazing grace or if it's reckless love, I'm giving everything I have to you because I'm not here for me. I'm not here for some particular style. I'm not here for entertainment. I'm here to worship you, period. So it's not about the genre of music. And this, this is my last point. And then we're gonna shift gears a little bit. My last point in this practical side of things. Worship, let me, everybody listen to this very closely. Worship is not a warm-up for the message. It's not secondary to the word. It's not the opening program to get everybody in the room and drawn in before the pastor comes and shares the word of God. Worship is just as, if not more important than what I'm doing right now, standing before you. Because worship, once again, is all about us ministering to him. It's all about us speaking to him and us giving everything we have to him. And you know what I love most about worship? When I'm up here preaching, you're hearing the word through a filter of my thoughts and my imagination 
And what I'm hearing from the Lord, what I love about worship is all of the filters are gone and it's just you speaking back and forth to your father. It's conversation between you and him. And that's what I love about worship is that it's, if we posture our hearts right and we're, we're doing those things, then we are, are having that conversation, that connection just between me and him. And you're not hearing a filtered message. You're hearing the word of the Lord to you because worship, again, is more than just us talking to God. He will talk to us in worship. And there's that exchange there in worship. So worship, get that out of your mind. It's not a warm-up. It is our opportunity to give as much gratitude and thanksgiving back to the Father as we possibly can. It's not less important. If anything, it's more important because it helps us to posture our heart and set our faces as flint to his face. Amen? So those are things worship is not. <laughs> Amen? Awesome. All right, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit. I wanna to talk to you about extravagance. So we've talked a little bit about what worship is not. Now I wanna to talk to you about what worship is. What does worship look like? And to do that, we're gonna look at Luke chapter seven. Verse, it's actually verses 36 through 50, but you can turn there if you'd like, but I, I actually felt to do this. I felt to write write a little story or a little monologue based off of this scripture. And so that's what I'm gonna do this morning. It's, it's the story of Luke chapter seven, which is the story of when Jesus, when Jesus goes to the house of Simon the Pharisee for dinner and the prostitute walks through the door and begins worshiping at Jesus's feet. So you, you again, go ahead and take that off, Chad, because I'm gonna just read it off of, off of this. This is a paraphrase of, of what's happening in this story. So let me read this to you. Who is this man? Was the question that would, wouldn't let Simon the Pharisee sleep at night. The majority of his colleagues already had their minds made up concerning that question. He's a lunatic, a false prophet, a deceiver stealing the gaze of his followers, of our followers. Simon though was unsure. Maybe his teachings took for granted the traditions of the religious elite he thought, but did you see him heal the centurion's son? Or better yet, raise the widow's son from the dead? And you have to admit, the people are unusually attracted to him. Simon wasn't convinced that Jesus was as bad as his colleagues, the other Pharisees had decided, but the Messiah, well, that might be a little grandiose of a title. Wanting to bring Jesus in a little closer, Simon decided to invite this teacher to dinner and Jesus gladly accepted. The guests began to arrive, some friends, some colleagues, all people that were familiar to Simon. They knew where the water pitcher was to wash their feet. There was no need for him to go out of his way to fetch it for them. A kiss on the cheek was too formal for such a crowd and to pull out the fragrant anointing oil would be too extravagant a gesture for some friends, a few colleagues, and this well-meaning yet misinformed teacher. So they reclined at the table. They talked about various things, asking the Jewish carpenter turned teacher a few questions. The conversation was cordial and lighthearted, appropriate for a few friends and a controversial teacher. But if the ones who sat at the table only knew who sat there with them, the tone would be much, much different. Suddenly, the room grew quiet as one by one, each guest realized who just walked into the room. Simon, taking notice of the sudden awkwardness, began to look around for the cause, and his heart sank to the floor when he saw who just walked through the door. This woman was familiar too, but not in a good way. She was a sinner, an adulterer, a whore, she had done things beyond the synagogue's ability to cleanse. To be near such a woman was as bad as being touched by a leper to a God-fearing, holy Pharisee like Simon. He stood up with righteous anger, ready to throw her out of his house. But before the words could fly out of his mouth, he was quickly silenced by what he saw. 
the prostitute found her way to the feet of Jesus, weeping uncontrollably. Not having access to water or a rag, the woman used all that she had to make sure his feet were clean. Simon watched as the tears that fell from the woman's cheeks drowned Jesus's dusty feet. Then with her long black hair, she began to remove every piece of dirt that dared dishonored her beloved. Over and over and over again, she kissed his feet. Then the room filled with an overwhelming fragrance as the woman wasted all of her costly perfume by pouring it on the one in whom she loved. Simon, watching the extravagant worship of this woman, let the thought slip into his mind, this man can't be a prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman was touching him. And breaking the silence in the room, Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. Unsure how to answer, Simon said, go ahead, teacher. Jesus began to tell a story of the two men who, brought, who, or who owed a great deal of money to the same lender. One man owed the bank $100,000 and the other only owned 10000 When it was clear that neither man could pay, the lender forgave both the debts. Now, Simon, Jesus asked, which man would love the lender the most? Simon, afraid to give the obvious answer, said, I suppose it'd be the one with the greatest debt. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your house as a guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash my du the dust off my feet. Yes, she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with a customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven all of her many sins. And this is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven of will love me very very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven you. All the dinner guests became outraged at Jesus's words. Who is this man that can forgive this woman's sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. The guests still in outrage begin complaining to one another, but Simon remains silent with his eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm afraid too many times our posture is more like Simon's than it is like the prostitutes. Especially those of us in here who have been Christians for a long, long, long time. And what tends to happen is we begin to get familiar to this process of worship. We come into a service, we sit down, we say hi to everybody. The song starts playing, we go through four or five songs. We sit down, we have the message and do that over and over again each week. And it's easy if we let ourselves, we'll become familiar with the process. We become familiar with the idea that Jesus paid everything for us. And it, little by little, becomes less exciting and becomes less, we get less of a gratitude for what he did for us. And we find ourselves not at his feet, but reclining at the table. He's a great teacher. He did awesome things for me, but I'm gonna just recline at the table today. And it's easy to let ourselves just get familiar with him. I love the verse and the whole point of this entire context, the whole point of Jesus's story. He tells, he tells Simon this in verse 47, he says, this is why she has shown me such extravagant love. 
but those who assume, I love that the Bible adds that word. I think it's the Passion Translation that adds that. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Those who assume that we've been forgiven very little will love me very little. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up a Christian. I grew up in the church my entire life. I never knew what it was like to not know Jesus ever. And I don't, I don't know. I know there's probably several of you like that in there, but I don't know if this has gone through your head. Man, if only I had been addicted to drugs at one point in my life, then I would have a killer testimony to give on a Sunday morning, right? We think we have to, and, and when we hear this story, we think, well, I can't love extravagantly because my life has been pretty good. I've never been addicted to drugs. I've never had prom- problems with promiscuity. I've always been a good church kid. I've always, I've always been on time Sunday mornings. <laughs> Most of the time, <laughs> I've been on time <laughs> Sunday mornings. <laughs> and we think to ourselves, man, I just, life has been good. I, I don't really have an extravagant story. We have to be careful that we don't let ourselves think that grace makes sin less treacherous. That we don't take for granted that sin, no matter what the sin is, the penalty is still death. That in God's eyes, Sin is sin, whether it's murder or whether it's adultery. In fact, the Bible says that grace elevates the level of sin. What does Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? That if you even look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. If you have any hate towards a brother, then you have murdered him in your heart. Grace doesn't make sin less of an issue, grace actually makes it more of an issue. The Bible says very clearly that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me read this to you in Romans. It says, it says there's not one who understands. There is not one who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of some word I don't know is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is his description, not of the prostitute, but of humankind, of every one of us. We are just as lost and desperate as the prostitute, as the drug addict, as the fornicator. We are just as lost as any single one of those because his standard is perfection. And anything under that, the penalty is death. And I think sometimes we so easily forget that because we're not drug addicts. We're not prostitutes. We're good Christian people. And sometimes we need to be reminded of exactly what we've been forgiven of. Sometimes in order to worship and respond properly, we have to get good and familiar. Let me say it different way. We have to remember what he pulled us out of. We have to remember that our destination was not heaven, was eternal damnation. And he stepped in because like Rome or like Ephesians says, because of his great love with which he loved us. He stepped in and saved us. And sometimes we have to remember exactly where we were going and that we are no longer in that place anymore to be able to worship correctly. It's why the Bible says, those who assume they've been forgiven little. You haven't been forgiven little. You've been forgiven in great and in great ways that are beyond what you even realize. And so those who have been forgiven much should show extravagant love to the one who forgave them.
the one who calls you righteous and holy. Here's another thing that the Lord reminded me of this morning that I think would help us in our, our, our thinking towards worship. We have this in our mind that God saved us from hell. And obviously he did. He saved us from hell. But that wasn't God's ultimate reason for coming and dying on the cross. That hell was never even intended for us anyways. That that was never even supposed to be an option for humanity. It became an option because of our error. But he does save us from hell, but that wasn't his ultimate intention for the cross. His ultimate intention for the cross, it says several times, it says it in Matthew, it says it in Luke, it says that he came to restore all things. What, what, what did he come to restore? He came to restore all things. What did he come to restore? I believe he came to restore Genesis chapter two, us walking with him in the cool of the day. He came to restore relationship. He didn't die on the cross so we wouldn't go to hell. He died on the cross so that we could spend all of eternity with him, so that he could spend all of eternity with us. Hell, I mean, not going to hell obviously is an incredible thing, but it's such a low view of the cross and what it was meant to do. I mean, that, that was a secondary consequence of the cross is that we don't have to spend eternity in hell. The real reason is so that he can get his walks back with us in the cool of the day. The real reason is so that we can spend all of eternity walking around his house and calling us sons and daughters and, and hanging out with us and being with us. Let me prove it to you. All of this in Revelation, how does this whole thing end? What does the book, the final chapter, the chapters of the book of Revelations talk about? Let me read to you a few scriptures of the final chapters in Revelations. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then it says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But I saw no temple in it for the Lord God and the lamb are the, its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. And then this one, and he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the lamb in the middle of its street. And on the other side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each fruit yielding its fruit in every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And then, and there shall be no more curse by the throne of God and the lamb shall be on it. And then it says this, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They, no, they need no lamp nor light or sun for the Lord gives light to them and they shall reign forever and ever. This is how the book of Revelation ends. It doesn't end with, they made it to heaven. Glory to God, they didn't go to hell. It ends with every day, night and day, I'm gonna be with my son my sons and daughters, and they're going to be with me. There's not even going to be need for a sun there, a sun to give light or a moon to give light because I'm never going to leave them. I will be the light because I will constantly always be with him. This is why he died for us. Not so we want to go to hell, but so we could spend eternity with him in the cool of the day, walking and just being with each other. And this should cause extravagant worship. Extravagant worship to come from us. That we've been forgiven a debt that we could never have imagined paying. Never imagined paying. And that he did it so we could walk with him 
so that we could be restored with him because of his great love with which he loved us. And I know some people say, but Josh, isn't all the dancing or jumping or hands in the air and, and crying and all that, isn't that just emotionalism? Absolutely. It is absolutely emotionalism. But let me ask you this, isn't it emotional? Shouldn't we feel something? Tell, tell that to the prostitute who the synagogue wouldn't even come close. Anybody from the synagogue wouldn't even come close to her because she was so unclean because of her reputation. But Jesus invites her in. Tell that to blind Bartimaeus who from his, mo- from his mother's womb could never see and Jesus in a, in a moment heals him. Tell him that that's too emotional and too extravagant. Tell Peter who denied Jesus three times and then a campfire met Jesus once again after he was resurrected and Jesus restored him a hundredfold and said, you are the rock of the church. Tell him that that's too extravagant. How many of you remember the testimony of Tia Brewer a few weeks ago? Tell Tia Brewer that her worship is too extravagant. The, a lady who had, fallen into, who had fallen into drugs in college who had lost her career, who had lost her kids, who had lost her husband, who had lost her reputation in the community, who was completely disgraced and disowned and living in a basement, unable to even talk because the drugs had so affected her system. And then one worship service that she didn't even want to be at, immediately set free from all of those drugs. And now... Two or three years later, her family has been restored to her. Her reputation is being restored to her. And here soon, she's going to be able to, to, she was a lawyer. She's going to be able to take the bar exam again. And her career is going to be restored to her. Tell Tia that her worship is too extravagant and that she shouldn't be emotional about this thing. Tell the kids whose parents were on the brink of divorce And in a moment, the Lord restored their marriage. Tell those kids that their worship is too extravagant. Tell the 16-year-old, 15-year-old boy who struggled with pornography over and over and over again that every time he fell and messed up would go to the altar and repent again, again, and again, expecting to be condemned, expecting to fall off my calling or whatever you want to say, but instead being met with open arms and grace and love and acceptance and hearing from the Father and over and over again, I chose you for something. And every plan that I've ever had for you is still intact and in place. Tell me that that worship is too extravagant. This should be emotional. It should absolutely be emotional. And it's gonna look different for everybody. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to raise your hands and jump up and down and, and, and do all of those things because there's so, many, there's so many people that do all of those things and all they're doing is calisthenics. <laughs> it has everything to do with your posture. It has everything to do with your attitude and your posture to him. And if, if he's saying, and if your, your posture is asking you and telling you to raise your hands in extravagant worship, then raise your hands. If he's telling you to get on the floor and weep before him, then do it. If he's telling you to dance before him, then dance. All of those things are expressions from the Bible that happened. None of them are too wild, crazy, and extravagant for him. There's nothing you can do in worship that's too extravagant. There's nothing you can offer him that has gone too far. Will people maybe mock you? Probably. But who are we here to worship? The the, the prostitute was mocked by the Pharisees. The prostitute was mocked by everyone in that room except for Jesus, but it didn't stop her tears from washing his feet. because they didn't forgive him a debt that she couldn't pay. They didn't 
offer her a new life like he was offering her. No one in this room can, can forgive you of the sins and, 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 and do what Jesus did for you. There's only one who did that. And he deserves all the extravagance in the world. Yesterday, Paul told us about a song that he'd been listening to. And it was absolutely the perfect song for this message. The heart of this song, the lyrics of this song didn't come from somebody trying to put out a record. It came from somebody who who was extravagantly worshiping his father. And so I just wanna take a few moments to end this service and just offer a little bit of time for extravagance. Offer a little bit of time for us to show our gratitude to the one who forgave us the debt that we could never have repaid. So I encourage you right now, let's everybody just stand. Begin to just posture your heart and focus your attention on, on Jesus this morning. And if you have to come to the front, if you feel like you need to come to the front, if you need to stay in the back, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you, I don't care what your response is, as long as it's a response out of a posture of worship and extravagance. As long as it's a posture of thanksgiving and gratitude and honor for the one who set us free. Jesus, we just thank you. God, those words seem so, so little compared to what, Lord, we feel in this room right now. For all you've done for us, all you continue to do for us, Lord. The extravagance you've showed towards us, that, Lord, that you came to earth. God, that the word says that you were the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, which means you knew when you breathed your breath of life into us that we were gonna fall short, that we were gonna turn our backs on you, that we were gonna rebel and that we were gonna fall into sin and fall into the very thing that you asked us not to. You knew before you breathed into us that we were gonna do that, but you still breathed into us. And not only that, you set a plan in motion before you created us that would bring us back into restoration, bring us back into relationship with you. God, that you were not obligated. Jesus, you were not obligated to come down to earth and become a man and die on a cross for us. There was nothing in you that, that you had to do that. There was nothing that was making you do that. You did it for one reason only, and that was because you didn't want to lose relationship with your sons and daughters. God, we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. God, and now just as the prostitute, Lord, of all people, the prostitute, figures out what extravagant worship is supposed to look like. So Lord, we come to you not as a Pharisee like Simon this morning. God, we come to you as a, as a person who has been forgiven much and we offer extravagant, unbridled thanksgiving and worship to you. in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave Oh, I'm not here for blessing
gone through the motions. I'm sorry. When I just sang another song, take me back to where With my agenda, I'm sorry When I forgot that you're enough Take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I'm caught up in your presence And I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't
this will be our norm on Sunday mornings. But this won't end with just one song at the end of a message about worship. But this would become our lifestyle. That worship would become our lifestyle. That outside of these four walls and within these four walls, that our heart posture would just be worship continually to Him. Thanksgiving continually to Him. And when we come in here on a Sunday morning and the music begins to play, if it's Amazing Grace or if it's Sweet Home Alabama, <laughs> shout out. That our posture will not be reclined at the table, but our posture will be at His feet, giving extravagantly to our Father to our creator, to the one who saved us and who loved us enough to die for us. Will you make that pact with me? And we'll do that. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. Jesus, God, let this not end, Father, with this song ends, Lord. Let this not end when we say amen today. Father, let our hearts, Lord, be continually drawn to you. God, let us not wait till heaven, Lord, to walk with you in the cool of the day. God, that that doesn't have to wait until, until we're dead and in heaven, Father. But Lord, that heaven would come to earth, which was your intent. God, and that we would walk with you now. We love you so much, Father. We honor you this morning with our very, very best. We give you glory for it in Jesus' name.